0: So I want you to do some imagining again. Imagine you're going to meet with the CEO of a successful, high net worth wealth management firm. Fancy, right? You take the elevator, which silently zooms you to a beautiful suite of offices where you're greeted with coffee, sparkling water. The whole place feels like a cocoon of success, where the goal of everyone there, especially the CEO, whose personal goal is to help you grow your wealth and help you invest your inheritance, is to help you grow your money. Okay, I said imagine. For those of you saying, Liz, that's not me yet. I don't have that kind of wealth. But would you think, as you shake that CEO's hand, pretty good for a guy who grew up in a home with no running water and no indoor plumbing and no understanding of how to save or manage money, I'm going to say most likely not, but that's what makes my guest today someone really worth listening to. Ted Oakley was one of five children born in Toccoa, Georgia, to a preacher and a stay-at-home mom. His first job was at the age of six. Okay, do you feel guilty now? Age of six, delivering TV guide magazines and woven baskets door to door. And then at age seven, he got a job at a furniture store sweeping up dust from the floors. Today, he is the founder and CEO of Oxbow Advisors, a Texas-based money-managing firm that counts high net worth families as clients. But he is not stingy, by the way, with his expertise. He's earned over the years in How to Grow Money. Ted's the author of nine books, including... The Psychology of Staying Rich, I like the title of that, and Rich Kids Broke Kids, The Failure of Traditional Estate Planning. Ted, welcome to Everyone Talks to Liz. Thanks so much for coming on.
1: Thanks for having me, Liz.
0: I find this fascinating. I mean, part of your expertise today is to help clients who inherit you know, sometimes boatloads of money and ensure that they don't lose it or fritter it away, hence the title of Rich Kids Broke Kids. Considering your background, that's quite a pendulum swing, and, and we wanted to hear how you did it. So I want to start on that first end of the pendulum. Uh, and it's sort of, I guess, like the Dusty Springfield song, You're the Son of a Preacher Man, right? I mean, what was young Ted Oakley's early life like?
1: Well, you know, uh, my... my my dad, uh, was very poor. He was a, he was a Pentecostal preacher. Um, and I, I'm not a Pentecostal. I'm in the Episcopal church, but, and that, and that's nothing wrong with their church either, but, uh, but we didn't have any money. And so we didn't, we didn't have anything really. Uh, all, all of all the kids slept in one room and it was one of those where, uh, I don't know, there's, I think something in life, uh, makes you want to do better all the time. I was always an achiever. So even as a young child, and so I always wanted to move forward. And I, I would say, you uh, know, and I've since found out there's so many stories like mine, really, of people that I really respect. Uh, so I'm not, I'm certainly not that unusual, but it is different. When you only have one pair of shoes, I have a pair, you know, when I was a little kid, I had a pair of overalls, couple of, couple of t-shirts. One pair of shoes and that's it, uh, you know. And mm-hmm. so and if you were going to do anything, you had to get out and make some money yourself because your family did not have any money. Sure. And that was, that's just the way it was.
0: Familiarize us with Toccoa, Georgia, because up until today, I had not heard of that town.
1: Well, uh, it was about 30 miles from where Deliverance was filmed. So you can imagine <laughs> oh how pretty God. it was. <laughs>
0: small. <laughs> Small and in the, you know, the hinterlands, I guess.
1: Oh, yeah. And it'll it'll tell you what it looked like, too. And you went up. And so, you know, that was back in the days when they had moonshine stills and dirt roads. And, uh, you know, I I remember vividly getting stuck so many times on red dirt roads. It's raining. uh, The bridge washes out. There's so many things I can tell you about that. But you didn't have, you know, the only, the only paved roads were the main highways, and that's it. Everything else was dirt road, and uh, you had to be able to get through those. And, and, uh, but that was a different time. And it was but such a beautiful part of the world and such great people. Uh, I have wonderful memories. We just didn't have any money. <laughs> that's the <laughs> bottom line. And so that's the way it
0: was. Well, Dolly Parton, I love that song, Coat of Many Colors, where she talks about how her mom put together a bunch of rags because they didn't have any money. And she called it the coat of many colors and the kids laughed. But the mom said, Dolly, one is only poor if one chooses to be. And it sounds like that was your childhood. It was warm and loving.
1: You just didn't have a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, you know, interesting enough, when you're when your you know, dad is a minister like dad, that, that's pretty much the focus of the family. It's not like, you know, you don't, it's not like you're going to be doing anything else. I mean, it was, it's a rarity if you ever, uh, you know, got a Coca-Cola or, mm. you know, you never went out to eat or anything like that, but, but it was, but yes, that, that's it. I mean, it's just, uh, they, they my parents love me. Uh, they didn't, you know, they had a lot of kids and they have a lot of time for each one of us because, uh, They were trying to make it work, and it was uh, my hat was always off to them because they they worked hard to keep it going. But Mm -hmm. it was you know that's just what it was.
0: You were saying that you always had a desire to grow and and become something, Uh, but age six, going door to door selling TV guides or delivering uh, baskets. Tell me what that did for your psychology. I mean, it's a pretty young age to be thinking, let me go work. Was this something you were asked to do or you felt compelled to do just to contribute to the family?
1: You know, uh, I got my uh, I got my dad and uncle to uh, I said, look, I I, I really want to make some money because I, I i wanted to buy some things you know I, I wanted to be able to go buy a an almond joy i remember this i loved almond joy almond <laughs> joy or a coca-cola mm. uh back then we had big reds but i <laughs> i would i wanted to do that well, we didn't have any money so uh i the only way I, I, I say is there any way i can do some and then my uncle remember said you know what i want to tell you what I, I saw this thing where where they you they, they'll send the tv guides and you mark them up and so I sold them for $0.20 and paid a nickel for them. And, uh, you know, I was really, really, really on my own. I mean, I was a little guy walking around. I'd go spend many hours by myself, but it was always worth it because I ended up with some money and I could could buy something other kids could and it made me feel good.
0: And it also gave you a taste of action-reaction, working and then you get the benefit of it and then you have more freedom to do, as you said, exactly what you want to do. Uh, as you grew older, how did the military come about? Because you did serve. And as you got older, I think I, I always am interested to know what gets people to the military.
1: Yeah. Well, what happened with me was uh, I uh, I left home. And and, and again, I, this is not because of, I had loving parents, but I, I just... I wasn't I wasn't a person that was uh, designed for that particular re- religion, and that's nothing wrong with it, but that I wasn't. I left home 10 days after I got out of high school. I was on my own completely. So I'd worked uh, and gone to a junior college, and I ended up going to a, a, a big four-year school because uh, a the guy there I knew got a job for me. So I had to work full-time, and I didn't think this would happen, but I needed to have two jobs in order to make it. And so I had to drop three hours. And I remember this. And when I dropped those three hours, so I, my grades were okay, but but I just didn't have my time. I I had, you know, I had to make a living. Right. Uh, They drafted me. (laughs) And so, uh, and that was probably one of the best things that happened to me because when I got out, I could use the GI bill. Ah, right, right. And then I had only one job, you know, and I had a good job, but, uh, I actually took a little bit of a pay cut when I got my first job out of college. (laughs) (laughs) But that's the way it is. (laughs) Well, yeah.
0: So, I mean, it became a real net-net win for you having served. Was there anything that you learned in the military that made you perhaps aim even
1: higher? You know, one of the things I learned so much is that uh, I was a poor kid from Texas. About that time, I moved to Texas because we were... It's a roundabout story how we got to Texas. But, uh, but it made me realize how big the world was and how many interesting people were out there and how many successful people. I met some really successful people uh, that just, they had already had their masters. A couple of my friends had their doctorate. They were in the Army. And, uh, and I just realized you know, how, how far these people went. And they, were, they, they really inspired me to want to do things. And so I got a lot of inspiration from people and learn. Yeah, you know, I met people from all over the country and all over the world mm. and it was really uh, it was a great experience.
0: An eye opener certainly. And and the shift to finance and advising people, how did that come about? Because here, having grown up so poor, you looked at this and said, "I know what it takes to make money. It's got to be protected and grown once you do have that pile of cash."
1: Well, that's true. You, uh, you learn to, uh, number one, you learn to say, but you learn to, the debt side. Cause you, if you're living, if you're living Friday to Friday and I, you know, one of the benefits of that is that I've learned, I've lived all three socioeconomic levels. So I have a real appreciation. I can get a pretty good feel for the economy because uh-huh. I can talk to people. Uh, but what I was going to say is that one of the things that happens is that, uh, I, I My first job was with a company called Anderson Clayton Foods, and, and I developed this, I was a roundabout way, developed this new shortening product for them um, that was a big, it, they made a lot of money, and we doubled the sales, and when I was a young guy, I was 24, 25 at the time, and they called me in, and I made them a lot of money in one year, and uh, they gave me a 2% raise, I'll never forget, and I said, well, that's not going to work, okay? <laughs> so... <laughs> I, uh, a friend of mine said, you know, I think I've got another friend at Merrill Lynch and it, you could probably go to New York and work up there a couple of years. And I was in Dallas. And so what happened is I, um, I, I, I was lucky, you know, I've had so much help in my life and this guy really helped me. And, uh, I got an interview, moved to New York. That was, and that was, and I thought I'm, you know, I didn't have a lot of money, You need, as you know. <laughs> you need some money to live in New York. <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: So what were those but few years like? I mean, you you arrive in the big city. Where yeah. are you living? How intimidating was it? I mean, describe this. I get so fascinated by these we stories.
1: Lived in a, um, and you know right where this is, because, you know, I was just in your studio, uh, I don't know, a week ago, yeah. but I was in New York, but I, uh, we were at 42nd and Lexington. Okay. And it's, it's torn down now, but it was a shack of a hotel that <laughs> had turned into a little, uh, kind of a little condo. It was, it was almost like a dorm room. How much? Uh, How much? Oh, it, it I can't remember what we paid, but it was, it was, but, and Merrill had it set up. They had it set up so everybody could stay there. Okay. And they could, we got a, we, we, is nothing really to stay there. And, and, and if you'd seen it, you know why. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, they've torn it down now. But uh, what happened is uh, it was fun. I mean, I love New York I mm-hmm. City. I think I love the people. And, and uh, again, another eye opener for me. Well, and, and, and yeah, you know, I, I
0: don't mean to interrupt, but well, I'm thinking of Hank Greenberg, of, who launched AIG, became a multi-billionaire. And he, oh, yeah. he told me when he got out of the military after serving in the war, he said, Liz, I lived alone in a cold water flat or walk yeah. up, you know, for those of you who don't know, no hot water, okay? Yeah. Uh, and and this guy became a billionaire, 10,000, 15,000 square foot apartment on Fifth Avenue. You know, <laughs> there is this truth to that line from the Steve Miller band song, <laughs> Big Old Jet Airliner, you got to go through hell before you get to heaven.
1: I like that song, too.
0: This is Everyone Talks to Liz, and we will be right back.
2: Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie. Formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services. Marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now, you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals, That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services.
0: So what brought you back to
1: Texas? Well, what happened is my my father decided he would be, um, he decided he was going to sort of uh, be a missionary to the sugar beet workers out in Greeley, Colorado. And he knew a guy there. So we moved, we moved there And i really, I was, I, I had no idea where I was at age, at age 10 when we got over there. Mm-hmm. I, I, would never seen any place like that. And, um, and so sort of obviously we sounded out of place and then, and then he got a broke, a break and he, uh, another guy, you knew. this was all in the min- in ministry and he you travel around as a kid like that. And they got a break and he came to a couple of churches in Texas, And that's how we got back to Texas.
0: Let's talk about the founding of Oxbow Advisors. You saw a gap in wealth management, and that was that sometimes people sell a business and they come into a lot of cash or somebody passes away and they inherit a big chunk of money, and they don't know how to handle it, and then suddenly it vaporizes. You saw a real need to advise those types of people. What was it that got you focused on that area of, of financial investment advisement?
1: Well, to to be straightforward about it, the biggest area is that when they sell companies, they usually have more money than other people. And so if, if you're in the business of of working with people, you want to work with people with the most money, you, you know, you, yeah. um, I'll, and I know, you know, this list, but if you take somebody that has has $300,000, that's the only 300,000 they have. Mm-hmm. Okay. If you work with somebody that has 50 million or a hundred million, it's a total, you know, they, they, they have a totally different view of things and they understand risk better a lot of things. But that's, that's how we got to that point. Uh and really, I really have always enjoyed, really enjoyed working with women and men who have built companies. And so they're all so interesting. Hmm. And, and that's how we got there.
0: And you started in, in a way reverting back to your door-to-door salesmanship as a six-year-old because you just started cold calling companies, right? And saying, hey, do you need some advice on how to handle money?
1: Yes. And and I was helped a lot by some accounting rules, believe it or not. And I, I know you remember this, but there's back in the day you had pooling accounting. So you could do a stock for stock and it wasn't a taxable event at the time. You know, you just do, you just exchange stock they don't do that now. It's all purchase accounting. Yeah. So, and all that stock would be at that time would be 144 stock. So they were public companies. And I knew a lot about a lot about the ongoing and what happened on the rules, regs, that sort of thing, but they couldn't sell anything for two years, and we're very loyal. And what we would do is we would work with people for that two-year period because everybody else left. Uh, <laughs> they couldn't make any money on them, and so, uh, uh, and so that's how we really got started. We 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 always stayed in the backyard. We were the last people hanging around.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you were the last ones scraping the the grit off the uh, the grill right after the burger party. Do you think? Do you think growing up in your setting and your circumstances helped influence how you handle people today? And and if so, I, I was so interested to know some real sort of granularity about that because you've mentioned a couple of times about Pentecostal. Right. I'm not sure I really know what that is. I mean, I think of tent revivals. I think of I, is that people speaking in tongues. Forgive me. I'm not educated about it. But you had said, you know, you left home. You're not dissing Pentecostal. It just wasn't right for you. What is it? Just so our listeners who may have thought when you said that, I'm not really sure
1: if I know what that is. Well, you know, it's interesting you ask that because most people aren't sure yeah. about what happens in Pentecost. By the way, the Pentecostal people, just such wonderful people, mm-hmm. uh, and but they believe in strict adherence to uh, very strict guidelines about uh religion and the Bible and various things. And, and, and really that's fine. And a lot of really do that. There's <laughs> is probably a bit more strict, uh, in that, uh, there's a lot of things they don't believe in. When I was a kid, you couldn't, um, you know, you, you couldn't go dancing and you couldn't go swimming you could, there's a lot, so many things you couldn't do, right. uh, that they just didn't believe in. But the other side is they believe in, uh, you know, believe in healing, uh, laying your hands oh, on, right, believe right, right. In, you know, they believe in speaking tongues and that kind of thing. Uh, but I, again, I, I don't, uh, that's, that's certainly their prerogative. And i certainly, uh, appreciated all the people in that religion that helped me along the way, but it's different. You know, I have so many friends that, uh, you know, they're Jewish Catholic, you know, my, I'm Episcopalian, but they don't have a, they wouldn't have a clue <laughs> about yeah. what yeah. goes on in any other church. I went to a lot of churches just to check them out, see what they were like. So I've gone to a lot of different churches, but uh oh you know, thirty years ago I joined the Episcopal Church, but but it's you know, it's just a different church. It just it was a little it was a little bit too um a little bit too guarded for sure. me. And I, I, I moved on.
0: Well listen, every religion has that. I was raised conservative Jewish. My dad was raised Orthodox, he rejected uh parts of the Orthodox religion. We did not grow up totally kosher. In any way, shape, or form. I mean, my right. mom's dad was a butcher, and she would buy ham and eat it in the parking lot of the grocery store because my dad was like, man, let's just keep ham out of there." And that—that
1: well, that, that is funny. Yeah, is funny I have so many Jewish friends, and I have a few Orthodox, but not too many. Most, but that—that uh, that story is interesting. <laughs> yeah, but then
0: now I've found I like Reform, which is very. Liberal when it comes to adherence, and they wanted they want people to want to come into the fold, versus saying, "Oh, you don't belong because you don't do X, Y, and Z." And I just it just works better for me. I'm not again like you. I'm not judging, but yeah, I I like this better. So I, I wanted to get some some sort of transparency about that because I've always been very curious. In the end, though, when I look at your success that you have reached, you deal with billions of dollars and many, many very wealthy clients. You've taken some time to do something that I find very interesting. And philanthropy with wealthy people who have found success is nothing new. A lot of successful people are incredibly generous, and that's why I really hate this trend of – this is apropos of nothing, but people who rip successful people. Oh, capitalists. You know what? Capitalists often turn around and do the most charity work. You have chosen helping foster kids find homes. Can you tell me about Foster Angels of South Texas? Hmm.
1: Well, I have two foundations, and I one of the one the first one was in South Texas, forty uh, 24 years ago, and it was uh, we we cover about thirty I think thirty two counties there, and and I live in Austin, and we have here we have a completely different foundation, Foster Angels of Central Texas. They both do exactly the same things, mm-hmm. um, and I I have a soft spot for kids. Because as a kid, I knew what it was like not to have a lot of things. And these kids are a lot worse off than I was, Liz. Um, they they don't have to have any love. I mean, that's the problem. Mm. And uh, so we try to, we formed a foundation that would, would do the best we could at trying to improve their self-esteem. And we, we allow them to request anything from us, anything we think would help them out and we try to turn it in 48 hours. And the reason we do that is because everything else in their life is government red tape,
0: oh.
1: uh, and it takes forever to get something done. But we were really wanted these girls, for example, to have the same kind of jeans and hairdos and mm-hmm. everything else that other girls had, and the boys to have the same kind of, you know, baseball gloves a football camp, whatever they wanted to go to. Sure. And uh, it's, been really rewarding over the years to, you don't turn them all around. There's no question about that. But, but you know, our, our motto is, if you change their thinking, you, you can change their life. And so I'm, I'm a, uh, i am i am I just matter of fact, this morning, uh, we started a new thing here in Austin where we're, some people have been so gracious to help us get apartments for kids that aged out of foster care, uh, so they can get on their feet. But, um, that's a group of kids. And there's a lot of them and a lot of foster kids in the big States, New York, Florida, Texas, California, Illinois. And it's a tough, tough life because, uh, they're not, they're words of the state. So people can't see them. So when we did the foundation, we set it up. So we tried to jump the system, but I don't mean in a bad way. It's just that there's no red tape. So if they need, they can call us like right now and say, yeah, I I really need a computer because I got to do this class in two days. We'll have it there this afternoon.
0: Oh, now,
1: my God. You know, that's amazing.
0: That. that is amazing.
1: So that's how we, that's how we got it going. And, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I, I know so many people that we do business with at different people. They all have great philanthropies. That happens to be mine. I love kids. I love to see them do well. Um, I've put numerous kids, not even foster kids, through college, uh just because people help me you know and so i want to i want to help them and it's a i always tell everybody you can put your name on a building if you want to but you know what i want i want legacies that go on for many decades that are people that you change their life that to me means a lot more than my name on a building
0: well legacy as Alexander Hamilton said, are the seeds you plant knowing you'll never see the tree grow, but it will carry on and it will live and grow beyond your own life. That is uh, that is just amazing. Ted, I want to I want to help. I want to help with that charity. I want to hug you. <laughs> this is so inspiring to me. Thank you so much for telling your story to everyone talks to Liz. If you could finish up by saying something to maybe people who are listening right now, who are using an excuse, and I don't blame them. But I hear a lot of people say, "Well, I didn't get to grow up in a house with a roof over my head, or or two parents, or any money, and that's why I'm not successful today." What would you say to inspire them?
1: Well, you know, the big thing I would say, and I just gave a speech uh, on this. I was a distinguished feature at a university in the spring, and and the topic was uh, Liz was resiliency. Mm. And I think when you're, and people, a lot of people think at the lower end, they think, you know, uh, other people don't have problems, but everybody has, everybody's got a bag of rocks. You can be super wealthy or middle rank, whatever. Everybody has some sorts of bag of rocks, okay? And yours happens to be that you're, you come from very, very, or mine was lower socioeconomic. And I try to remember to tell them this, if you will have resiliency, if you will be resilient, because you're going to get knocked down, If you'll be resilient, you can win, but you've got to be resilient. You've got to come back. You can't have something happen and say, well, you know, uh, woe is me. If you're resilient, you will win in life. And uh, that's a big key for them. And I think they have to keep that in mind. Get
0: up, just like Steve Miller Band. you got to go through hell before you get to heaven. And that goes (laughs) for anybody who is reaching for the stars. Ted, thank you so much. Thanks, Liz. It's a pleasure. And, and so what did I tell you guys like I do every time? We want to bring you these stories to show you what it takes. What does it take? And it doesn't take money. It doesn't take growing up wealthy. Not that there's anything wrong with that, okay? But to say that it's not going to be me, it's other people, uh-uh. These stories, time after time. Remind us all, it can be you. Uh, and you know what? It can be you who flips your remote control to Fox Business 3 p.m. Eastern every day to watch the in Countdown. And I hope you do. It's so great. Every time you guys tune in, I can I can hear you there out there and I can only say thank you. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time. Want to listen ad-free? You can do it with a Fox News Podcasts Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members, you guys can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music app.